1: Yet, what if we are poised to become more than we think we can be, more than we can imagine as a species? The birth of new ways of using our human potential and our shared common humanity are converging with both new science and the direct experience of oneness. We are coded with potential and it is time to look at a new evolutionary trajectory. I invite you to take a few deep breaths, open your mind and heart, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guests. Dr. Jean Houston is a scholar and researcher in human capacities. For the past 40 years, she co-directed the Foundation for Mind Research in New York City and Ashland, Oregon, focusing on understanding latent human abilities The author of some 26 books, she is also a senior United Nations consultant in human development and the founder of a program of cross-cultural mythic and spiritual studies dedicated to empowering change agents. And Dr. Irvin Laszlo, author an editor of more than 70 books, has published in excess of 400 articles and research papers, including six volumes of piano recordings. Generally recognized as the founder of systems philosophy and general evolution theory, he was twice nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. He serves as the founder and president of the club of Budapest and was past president of the International Society for the Systems Sciences. Welcome Jean and Irvin.
2: Julie, wonderful to be here. Thank you for this beautiful introduction.
1: Thank you.
3: Thank you very much, Julie.
2: Thank you both.
1: Alrighty, I'm so was So ready to have both of you here. And I'm going to begin the first half with Irvin, but I want you both to muse into this first question before we get into Irvin's piece of this. We are, we're really bringing your voices together as part of a book, Our Moment of Choice. And we've been doing a series on Our Moment of Choice. And the two of you contributed um, chapters in the same circle here that we're talking about. And my traditional first question on the show is usually what does all things connected mean to you, the the title of our show. But I want to bring this twist into this because we're talking today about really that convergence of the science and, and reason of the mind and the experience of oneness. So how does the science and the experience of all things connected create a new evolutionary trajectory for us. And Irvin, I'm going to start with you.
2: Well, I think all things are connected uh, is an intuition, a hunch for spiritual people, which has now moved from the, uh, from the plane of speculation to the plane of science. We are, We are connected. We are all things because everything that's in the universe is in us, just as we are all in the universe. And that's no longer speculation. That's now quantum science, is the new paradigm in science. It's at the same time the greatest illusion overcome, at the same time as the opening of the way ahead. I cannot think of anything more fundamental than the idea that we are truly connected In fact, we are one in the sense in which a hologram or elements of a hologram are one because all the information of the hologram is in every one of its elements. So I think what you were saying, Julie, is really is the crux of the matter. It's what we need to recognize. It's the lack of what created the problems, primarily that. And that's the task in front of us to know that our intuition of oneness is becoming effect. It is really, this universe is not a separate universe with little bits of matter floating around, connected by mechanical laws. It's it's a universe of, of waves, of vibration, of frequencies, all of which create a field in which all elements are present at all points. So that is the new vision. The vision is also the old vision, but it's the vision that we need to recover as we go forward.
1: Beautiful. And we are going to dig deeper into those pieces um, with your contribution to the book, Irvin. Thank you for that. And Jean, do you want to expand on that? What is the the science, the new science and experience of all things connected? How does that create a new trajectory for us, evolutionary trajectory?
3: Well, the new science affirms as... Uh, our dear friend Irvin has just said so beautifully <clears throat> that we are part of a great unity of beingness. We are not, as human beings, we're not encapsulated bags of skin dragging around a dreary little ego. <laughs> when we get mm-hmm. caught in that, the world perishes. When we really move into a whole different sensibility, the sensibility of the great oneness in which we all live and move and have our being, then, my friends, we have entered the tipping point. And the tipping point time of accelerated changes with compounding impacts. I mean, it's a time of catalyzing, catalyzing into unity, catalyzing, catalyzing deep transformational changes or else become catastrophic. I mean, these kinds of tipping point times signify that we are in the transition between two major cycles. And during this transition time, the old normals are gone. And the new normals are often uncertain and ambiguous. So we have the combined effects of the current COVID uh, pandemic, climate change, biodiversity crisis, lack of transformative leadership, and the rise of some of the worst human uh, behaviors that deliberately breed division and separation, this is calling us and quickening us into our inherent unity, our inherent greatness. And so this particular stage of our universe's, what should we say, evolutionary capacity, is working in us towards unity. It's active within us, and it requires that we ourselves begin to evolve to a new future pattern, because if we don't make this evolutionary jump, our world will collapse. And so let us look into the keys for deciding the direction of the tipping point dynamics that are now activated. We literally hold the future direction for our species and our planet in our hands. I mean, never before in history has it been this important to realize our creative power for creating a future of unity. Mm.
1: Thank you Jean indeed we hold the direction mm-hmm. of our future in our hands here and and so hopefully today we can really deepen into these concepts here so all of our listeners out there can feel really empowered to to catalyze that unity as you speak. So, Irvin, I want to begin with with your writing here and and you write that the time has come to reason and experience our way to oneness realizing our connectedness to the whole web of life. And let's talk about reason and experience for a minute, the head and the heart. I I talk about the convergence of the new science and the direct experience of our inherent wholeness. And so we speak of wholeness, connectedness, oneness, this unity that we're, we're talking about. Can you expand on this idea of the reason and the experience and why that's important right now
2: well reason is what we get from books from the laboratory from science from people who other people who have had experience but to experience ourselves is what we get from art from mysticism from spirituality from openness you know in our mind our willingness to to open up and embrace what there is beyond us. And above all, all, I think it's this famous four-letter word, which is love, experiencing it. That is the experience. Mm -hmm. If you feel unconditional love, then not because you are doing loving, because you get something out of it, some benefit, but feeling that you are really truly belonging to the other and you want the good of the other because you realize that what is good for the other is good for you. And what is good for you alone without, without considering the other may not be so good for the others. It may be sub optimize, as we say in system sciences, the whole system. It may just, just further one aspect at the cost, at the expense of the other. It's a sort of paying, playing this kind of zero-sum games. So it's either me or you. Either I win and you lose, or you win and I lose. And um, the either-or uh, uh, kind of a mentality. And that is something we need to overcome. So experience is, is spontaneous. It's what the yogis have, what the prophets have, what all spiritual people have. It's what we can all have if we just for a moment sit back Open your mind, as you are asking us to do, and allow that greater oneness which is around us, which is embracing us, to become part of us. That is the comfort, because we are not alone. That is something, there is something there which is larger than, than us, and which is embracing us all together. Old, old adages, old thoughts, that have been discussed over and over again. Never before did we recognize that the universe really is like that, that everything interacts with all other things. And then there is no clear cuts, clean-cut separation between things. You can't say this is here and now, and it's not there and then, because what's here and now is also there and then. It has always been. This is a universe of connection and the universe of memory. And it's an evolving universe, which I'd like to add for a moment. We can discuss it later also, if you like. Uh, this is not a universe, where one, a universe where oneness with others remains passive. It keeps us passive or keeps us the way we were. Oneness with, with another is, means entering into a driving force, entering into something that moves, that evolves, that becomes so the oneness experience is an experience of evolution. So it's more than we could have hoped for. This is an experience that I am having increasingly. Thank goodness um, this is happening. And I'm having it while I think, while I write, and I can just allow it to to, to flow forth. And it's something that I was trusting as a pianist. You know, in my younger days, I was a concert pianist. And then when I was performing, I allowed this sense of the melody, of the oneness, of the the oneness of the work of music that I was playing, the oneness with with the public, with the listeners, allowed that to flow into me. Now I learned that there's the same oneness flow that I need to open up to when I write, when I think, when I talk. I never prepare things anymore when I ask to talk something. I just talk the way it comes because I trust that it comes. So far, it hasn't disappointed me. Of course, you have to check what is coming to see that it's not just pure wish fulfillment. That's idle speculation. So I like to check it. And if I find that it corresponds to what I learn, what I reason, then this coincidence of reasoning and experiencing is the greatest guarantee the greatest comfort I could have that what I am finding is really corresponds to what there really is so I have this comfort and that's that gives me also the trust that what we have today this this crisis this chaos this impending catastrophe is something we can overcome not by outside forces, not by authority, uh, by being commanded or commanding, but by entering into ourselves and finding that together we can do it because together we are one. Just so far, there's just this much at this point. Thank mm-hmm. you for, for uh, considering this.
1: Yeah, together we can do it. Um, wow, I just want to pause, Irvin, and, and go back to early in your response you mentioned the experience of love and unconditional love and you are a legend in systems sciences and the thing that i'm really enjoying about our moment of choice this book is many of the scientists have brought in the idea of love and so it's it's really delightful and, and endearing to hold science at the at, with love at the same time. It's like we're we're holding this reason and this experience and to bring in the, I'll have to tell you, Greg Braden and Jude Curvan were on together and they mused into the science of love as well. So I just want to pause there and give you an opportunity to expand On what that truly means as a scientist to really converge in this place of holding that sense of oneness as that embodied experience of love, that flow of oneness is that experience of love flowing into our creative expressions, our written expressions. It just feels really hopeful for me to hear you, Irvin Laszlo, mention love. Can you speak more about that?
2: I think it's an experience that makes us humble. It's necessary, a necessary humility because we are not dominating. We are not, the world is not what we say that we want. The world is what we feel and what we allow to happen. It's the it's feel to be part of something. It's both a tremendously empowering experience and also a humiliating, a hu, hu, humble experience, I should say, because we are part of it. There is something greater, greater than us, greater than we can think. William James said that already in, in relation to what he called the religious experience, and it's in general the spiritual experience a the deeper experience. It's a great comfort when you know that experiments show that what has at one point been one, like a quantum, having been in the same quantum state, this entity, this vibration, you can project it as a wave or as a particle. It's both, actually. And you can project it no matter how far away, any finite distance, and it will still behave as though it would be one. You can cut it into half, project it. And it's just a laboratory experience, an experiment. And this has been done over and over and over again. So the wider implications of that, which is coming to the fore now, that no matter how far we are separated from each other, we are still feeling that oneness. An interesting experience, just to mention it, is that of the new, the new medicine, the new healing, when you heal, when a healer truly heals, that healer becomes in a way, enters into and becomes one with the patient, with the with the other person, the healer, as you might know, say. So. And that way you can feel it. I I've, I've had the experience that we're working with particular one but also several healers, spiritual healers who can tell what is happening to me, at least in the physically with my body, no matter how far away I am from them. And they can, they can help. They can send information. They send the energy. And that is actually happening. I feel it. And I am not a healer. I, to some sense, I can also think myself into other people. And the key to that, we're talking about love, the key to that is love. Because if the key to that is the feeling of wanting well, wanting good. A nice saying is that I've had once a discussion with Larry Dossey about this. Uh, they saying that be kind. Kindness. Very nicely put. Let's be kind to each other. Let's be kind to nature. We are not something else. We are it. And it's only together that we are whole. Alone, we are just a part, a segment, but we are not, never truly alone. That's an illusion, Einstein said it. And so there is something more, and there's something more is the wholeness. As a scientist, it's a great comfort to rediscover this, that experiment shows that this is true. This is the way it is. And the experiments are only now starting on a larger scope. The level of entire groups of people of entire species, entire ecologies, whereas the planetary web of life. There's so many things we can still find out. And what we'll find is always that one thing reacts, responds to another. We are all in the last final count, we are all vibrations, vibrations that interact, that work together like a tuning force begins to vibrate when it's one tuning force, the others also vibrate. Resonance. We are resonant be- beings, and that is means that we are truly a whole mess created by something larger. We don't know what has created it. It's full of, full of mystery. That whole world is somehow creating, it has been created with the Big Bang. That's the best guess that we have. 30.8 billion years ago, but that it is moving toward integration ever since, from separate little vibrations a so separate quanta, moving toward into atoms, into molecules, into crystals, into cells, into organisms, into ecologies, into solar systems and galaxies. I mean, this is a, an ongoing process, and it's probably only in an early phase in the universe as a whole. And we are unique species in that we are able to become aware of it. We're able to be conscious of it. And this consciousness of it is both a responsibility for acting in light of it and the great source of comfort for knowing that we can be healthy because to be healthy means to be whole.
1: Mm. Irvin, thank you. That was beautiful. And you... <clears throat> you brought in a couple pieces that I want to follow up with you. You mentioned nature and then you, you talked about vibration in the tuning fork. My grandfather was a piano tuner and I have his beloved tuning fork uh, in his whole kit. And I, and I often, I often think of that, that place of resonance that comes through. And you also wrote about coherence. I want to, I want to quote you, you, you wrote one path to recover our whole, our oneness one path to recover our oneness is the realization of the urgent requirement to recover our coherence with all life on the planet. Another path is through spontaneous lived experience that we've been talking about here. I want to go to that coherence and have you expand on that for our listeners as well. When we talk about resonance and creating coherence with all life on the planet, with nature, with one another, with, with the animals, with the plants, with the water, can you speak more of, of how do we recover our coherence with all life? And is this a practice and a pathway we all can learn?
2: We can. I think we can. There are some very simple ways to feel oneness with others. You. It's sometimes it's more difficult to feel it with people. It's easier to feel it with animals, because there is no blockage there. There's no yeah. ego really involved. I have a marvelous relationship with my dog. I always had a dog for so many years, and then this is this is now I think the dogs that I've had, living 15, 20 years each. We are really one. I mean, we can walk around together. I don't have to talk and to tell him. He recognizes, he hears, he knows, and we we feel together. Now, with nature, it's even simpler. The Japanese say, you know, go in forest basin, go into the forest and allow yourself to submerge in that forest. Nowadays, I'm told also, go try to connect with the earth not connect with uh, simply with concrete, with the pavement, but correct with the real earth. So I do, I live out in the country and have a nice garden around it. And I do every morning, unless the weather is really inclement, otherwise I go take a a comfortable chair as low as possible to the ground and to the grass. And I spend half an hour just feeling it. And it's marvelous, it gives you a sensation That doesn't leave you all, all all day long. And if something is happening, which is irritating, and I must say I'm I'm a very short fuse, I get easily irritated because I'm impatient. But then I can can go back there outside and look at the clouds, look at the the leaves moving around of the higher trees. And again, I feel that sensation of peace and harmony. That's what I was looking for in music. That's what I'm looking for in science. And, and the practical application of that is wonderful. The practical application, let's feel oneness with the biosphere. And then eventually, gradually, we we'll also begin to feel oneness with other people, no matter how disturbing they might be, how intolerant they might be, even how violent they might be. There's a beautiful saying in French, "To comprendre, c'est tu, tu pardonner." To understand everything is to forgive everything. To feel anger, to feel hurt, to want to have revenge, and sensations that are anti natural. They, they are devolutionary, not evolutionary. Mm. So there's a lot to learn from the old spiritual masters. A lot to learn also from the religions. When you take to the spirit of the religions and not the dogma, I think you, you will find what we truly are. And science is just not confirming it. It's learning it. It's a latecomer. You're just learning it in science that these things actually are truly art like that. This is a one universe. This is a one consciousness and we are part of it.
1: Irvin, I think your genius, your brilliance comes from being that pianist in your early career, and then expanding into the science, you bring that heart and that beauty and that creative um, edge into this whole evolutionary trajectory. So I really appreciate your voice in that. And I just want to ask you one more question before break here, because I think it it's important to all of us as we're exploring consciousness and the evolution of consciousness. I'm curious about how you feel about using technology now. I think there's a, this double-edged sword here, and I'd love to hear your opinion about using technology in the exploration of consciousness and the evolution of consciousness on our planet.
2: Technology is indeed a double-edged sword. If we use it to connect, to communicate, to create resonance, then it's fine. Then it's wonderful. The more of this technology, the better. But if we use it to fight, to maintain our own interest in the face of others, to play zero sum games with either me or you, then of course it's bad. So technology can be used in so many different ways. I get so abhorred when I see toys being made and then in the hands of children, machine guns, tanks, just shooting. And then getting on the getting on the on the internet and uh, playing these computer games, and, you know, together. Uh, and when you're shooting others, when you're exploring exploding others, why, why not embrace others? Why not find yourself in others? That's the real technology. So energy we need for everything. So good to have much energy. Good to have clean energy. We need food. We need clean food, organic food, but not make more artificial technology, use more artificial technology than we absolutely need to. We are leading a more and more artificial life, divorced from nature, divorced from the natural products. So we eat like that. We consume like that. We dress like that. It's time to come back. It's time to go forest-based, where the forest is the biosphere as a whole. That's my ambition. And you're quite right, yes. Music has given me the original impetus for this, but it just stayed with me. And now that I'm reaching a somewhat advanced age, actually one and a half years now from 90, I can can feel that more and more. I think that's the way to go.
1: Beautiful. Thank you, Irvin. I'm Dr. Julie Kroll. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show. We're gonna take a quick break. And when we return, so much more with our moment of choice, Irvin Laszlo and Jean Houston. We'll be right back.
0: Relationships lack the intimacy, depth, and connection you long for. Do you struggle communicating what you need and desire? Are you always last on your to-do list or even worse, not even on it? You deserve to be happy, feel worthy, be seen, and be heard to have your needs met and your boundaries respected. Regina Cates takes the suffering out of life and relationships. She's a no-nonsense wise woman who healed herself and her relationships. She's an internationally known best-selling author, an empowerment coach, and Relationships expert. Each day, she leads countless people around the world in reclaiming their power and transforming their relationships. If you're ready for a breakthrough, willing to do the work, then Regina will provide the way and the tools. Visit her at romancingyoursoul.com. Join the tens of thousands of people who, with Regina's no BS guidance, are taking back their power to live authentically and love passionately. Romancingyoursoul.com, where walking the talk comes to life. Romancingyoursoul.com. I don't believe it! My savings are gone! They're gone! You're kidding. Nope! They're gone! They're gone gone! Okay, alright. Think about it. Where did you have them last? I remember I was home, then I took them, and then I spent them on that vacation to Aruba. Then I bought this miniature suit of armor I saw in the in-flight magazine. And that's the last you saw of your savings? Yes. This is so weird. I know, right? Weird? Uh, not really. Not saving now means no money later. You'd be surprised how quickly a little money from every paycheck can really add up. Put away a few bucks, feel like a million bucks. For free ideas and easy ways to save, go to feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org. The armor is cool, though. Oops, I think I broke its gauntlet. You broke my favorite part. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. Kids have the craziest ideas about food. Where do they get this stuff? Like eating Brussels sprouts helps you hit home runs. And eating carrots gives you X ray vision? It's nuts. And I honestly have no idea where my daughter got this notion that broccoli is the official food of professional ballerinas kids. The only reason my four year old loves cantaloupe is because he's convinced it comes from the moon. Run, small step for man, lots of potassium for mankind. And the other day, when my oldest came up to me and said, Mom, will eating peas and carrots really help me pull off a fakey frontside Ollie with a twist? I look him in the eye and say, It can't hurt, honey. It can't hurt. Moms everywhere are finding creative ways to help their kids eat five servings of fruit and vegetables a day. Get ideas, get involved, get going at letsmove.gov. Brought to you by the USDA, HHS, and the Ad Council.
1: Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and perhaps listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. Also, stay connected all week on my Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. I invite you to be a more conscious, courageous, and compassionate co-creator Creator of the beautiful, healthy world we depend on. Come work with me. There's lots of ways to do that. You can check out those opportunities at juliecrawl.com and goodofthewhole.org. If you want to learn more about our guests, you can find Irvin Laszlo at laszloinstitute.com and Jean Houston at jeanhouston.com. Also, the book we're musing into today is Our Moment of Choice. You can go to ourmomentofchoice.com and find out more information about this incredible book. And with that, Jean, Ah. Wow. it's There's so much beauty and elegance in the first half of the show with what Irvin brought through, and I'm looking forward to weaving through your wisdom here. And, and one of those pieces that um, I, I do want to talk about culture and, and the human piece of that, but you also write about leadership and and. It's a time where we need new ways of looking at leadership, new models, new methods that can really support human beings in serving humanity. What does this new leadership look like? Well, it's a new leadership that has been
3: brought up in a time of what we call the tipping point, the time of accelerated changes with so many different impacts. Most of us were not prepared for this time, leaders or just regular folks, because we're in the transition between two major cycles. And as I said to you earlier, during this transition time, the old normals are gone. The new normals are uncertain and very ambiguous and ambivalent. So how does the leader train himself, herself, for a time in which... The only expected is the expected. The only explicable is the inexplicable. Now, as something of a cultural historian, I like to look back at times that were very similar to ours. And for the Western mind, it probably was the, uh, the 14th, 15th century during the Renaissance, which was preceded, just like our time, with a horrendous pandemic that killed most of, well, I guess, half of Europe. It was the gubonic plague, probably brought by rats on ships. You know. And then the, the desecration, the dissolution of all the traditional ways of knowing, being. The church itself was collapsing on itself. Suddenly there there was this wild new individuality and a breakthrough in perception. A breakthrough in perception. Leonardo da Vinci, what does he do? He starts looking at the ways of drawing to, and painting so as to give three-dimensionality. And with that came machines, the printing press, the, the incredible uh, avalanche of greatness and of radically new ways of being and seeing and doing. Well, now, I think that a new leadership is based on a similar... Renaissance, I love the word in Italian, rinascita, rinascita, deep renewal. Mm. And I train leaders all over the world, and I find that one of the most important things is to start with that sense of renewal and let them have access to different levels of psyche, of consciousness, of ways of being that they hadn't had before to really open them up to a whole new dimension of time. Time is not just past, present, future. We know, for example, in the new science, in the extraordinary frontiers of quantum physics, time is simultaneous, past, present, future, simultaneous, which means that you can literally, in your mind at least, go back in time and do minor shifts and things that happened, and it will have such an effect on your mind that it will then begin to activate a different form of remembrance, both past, present, and future. We know that you can take five minutes of clock time, equal subjectively to all the time you need, and have a little trip around the world, <laughs> you know, mm. and you'll come back, maybe not with a, you know a, a huge trip, but with something else. Now, these are just little tiny things, but leadership in our time is required to help people Become more than we ever thought we could be. And so we hear all this, I mean, this brilliant, brilliant book that I really advise everybody to read, Our Moment of Choice, Evolutionary Visions and Hope for the Future. It gets people who, most of these people in this book I know, and I've known them for years, and they're people who have been pioneers in thought, in feeling, in loving in thinking in brand new ways of being and doing and then and with a substantive amount of the new science and what they have done is they have really covered the entire agenda of a new society the new human story um uh, the the connecting the threads to of call to collective action experiencing our way to oneness Vibrational intelligence, uh, the current science of awakening, the big picture. I mean, really, this is as fine a uh, an exploration of new ways of being, states of new becoming, of of really being understanding that we are the ones, not only who we have been waiting for, as the Hopi said. But we are also ones about whom we can say, be not afraid. Oh, friends, we were made for these times, and our moment of choice is really about that, how we were made for these times and what we can do about it. So my work all over the world, I I don't know if you know this, but I'm launching in January. I'm actually the chairman of the largest theater on Broadway. How about
2: that? <laughs> <laughs> the
3: Palace Theater. And what we, so we have the wherewithal and the, uh, we have the technology to launch communities of practice all over the world. And within six months, we'll have a million people. But it's it's not about uh, trying to get uh, you know higher or make money. It has nothing to it. Has to do with tapping into the immensity of potential that is there, quivering at the edge of consciousness itself, yearning to move. We are in Renaissance times. We are in mm-hmm. the times that are ripe for a, what should I say, a species change. Now, Irvin brilliantly referred to these kinds of things, and he's talking about the coherence between people, the urge toward unity, that is part of the major music of our time. And this music is something that people the world over are feeling, wishing to act on, and wondering if they are capable. So what I'm doing right now is bringing my work and our work in human development, literally in exercises and processes, in reaching beyond what you thought. I mean, it it takes a certain kind of consciousness to wake up. It takes a very different and more con- considered and potent consciousness to grow. So I'm out to grow people the world over. No money, no uh, no special status, but then take on Take on the big issues, whether it's climate change in their local community, whether it's finding appropriate food, whether it's finding new ways of, of not only environmentalism, but ecology and economics. People are geniuses. You know, I've worked with literally tens of thousands of people the world over for a whole lot of years, and I've worked in, I think it's 109 countries now, you know, since 1958. And what I find is beneath the surface crust of consciousness, there is genius. There's the universe. There's the ability to tap into great fields of knowing, of being, and becoming. We have barely begun to use. What, what is it the Sufis say? The, the treasury of unseen generosities, this treasury of unseen generosities that lies within us, between us, and as part of this cosmos of which we are a conscious part. We don't just live in the universe. The universe lives in us, which means that in certain states of commitment, focus, love, tapping into the richness that we contain, we can find ways of joining our present time of the tipping point, our time of extremes, and really tune into profoundly evocative, transformative ideas and ways of being that will give us, what should I say, the roadmaps, the ways Mm -hmm. The yellow brick roads, if you will, (laughs) to the finding of profound new ways of unity and of transformational action in what has been called synergistic convergence of the worldwide network Mm. of interconnected humanity, ushering, I do believe,
1: the next level of human consciousness. Well, Jean, that, wrap that with a bow, Um, that incites great, just like yearning inside of me, like, yes, let's go. And you your genius you talk about people are genius we have this genius we can tap into this and this moment of choice and here we are we're we're made for these times but your voice through your decades of of working with social artistry here i appreciate how <clears throat> you said we need a gathering of the potential of the human race and that particular genius of every culture if we're going to survive you You brought in the genius of every culture, not just the genius of every individuals that literally we can learn from cultures. And I think this is an important piece we don't often think about. We often say, you know, we're, we're individual cells within one planetary body and we need to, you know, (laughs) find the genius of every cell, but let's bring culture into this conversation because I think it's extremely vital to Mm -hmm. our wholeness now. Well,
3: you know, having worked in so many cultures, you probably know that I was the adopted daughter of Margaret Mead, the anthropologist. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have a wonderful mother. She has a great, great daughter, but that was our relationship. And she would, you know, I'm very tall and she was very short. And she would look up at me and say, You're just like me. And I looked down and I said, no, Margaret, I'm not at all like you. You are much smarter than I am, and I am much nicer than you are. <laughs> but Margaret said, Jane, go out and harvest the genius of a human race. So she wrote me letters of introduction to uh, tribal leaders, to uh, people who were uh, exploring new forms of leadership in many different societies and I would go into, I'll give you an example, a, an African uh, tribal society, and I would discover the ways that they were solving problems. And it was very different from ours. They would dance it. They would dance it. They would enact it. They would feel themselves sourced and energized by, this, uh, by uh, the dance, the rhythms, the universe herself and know it as holy. And then they would come out and they'd say, well, now this is what we can do about the sewage system. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was just remarkable, you know. I, I, I just think of so many societies that that she put me into where I would stay for a while and learn so much. Within What I did subsequently is begin to bring the genius and wisdom of many different societies it, when they were relevant to solving our problems in the Western world or the Eastern world or wherever I found myself at the point. But it is the world mind is at a point where in which the world mind is taking a walk with itself, isn't it?
2: Mm. I mean, you just
3: have to look at the changes in food. It was not, in the Western world, just meat and potatoes. You go into a restaurant and you've got an Asian filet of soul that has... Uh, um, French, you know, spices and Italian modes of cooking. <laughs> the, 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 we look at the tongue. I, I'm a serious cook. You know, I had to become a serious cook in order to keep my parents together because my mother was Maria Nunciata Serafina Graziella Fiorina Popetio Tadaro, born in Syracuse Sicily. My father was Jack Houston of Texas, descended of old Sam, by the way. Mm-hmm. And uh, they hated each other's food. So I became the world's first fusion cook. Trying to make chicken fried polenta, you know, between my mother's and father's. <laughs> anyway, so as a serious cook, I really think in terms of what are the tastes and the aromatics that we can cross-culturalize that then activates a whole different genre of, of, of thinking of soul. And then you look into world music and you begin to dance, you know, with say the, some of the Indian, uh, from South Indian uh, music that is also then put into Western bodies in a whole new way. So this cr- cross-cultural gambit of, uh, of cultural, cultural variety is something that if it, it doesn't have to come in through ideas although they're pretty good but it, it has it has an enormously different way of thinking being it activates levels of mind and consciousness that we didn't know that we had before you see mm.
1: well you write about those different levels you write you say we're all coded with those potentials and i just want to pause and just acknowledge that I felt that same expansive um, direct experience of that when you were talking about the food and the aromatics and the 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 spices and the it's the same mm-hmm. part of Irvin that's the arts, the music that, you know, we let that yes. flow through us. I love that. But you do talk that we're coated with potentials and few of which we ever learn to use. Speak more about that. What are some examples of those Are coded with potentials?
3: Well, for example, the shifting of the past. As I said, the, mm. the time past, time present, time future are simultaneous in quantum physics. And so I will take a paper person back into something. I'll give you a simple example where uh, this was a woman, uh, Mary, who had been, uh, had always wanted to be an artist. But in the third grade, Miss. uh, uh cold faced horror came by where she's trying to draw and said, oh, you have no talent at all. Just give it up. Go go, go you know, go read a book. Whereas as we go back into the past and we enact an alternate story in which the, the, the teacher says, now, Mary, that's so interesting, a fat person that looks like a house. So clever. Keep at it. So creative. Well, after we have put that in, that has an effect. It has to be magical, imaginative, evocative, you see. And you move into another level of consciousness, not straight memory, but the levels of the psyche that can be recreated, regenerated. Again, it's the Renaissance, the renaissance. And then what happened is Mary then went and took art lessons, and two years later she had her own showing in a gallery. Well, I've seen this hundreds of times. You can, it's not with major traumas, because major traumas affect too many parts of the body, but, but it is with just subtle things. I mean, that would be an example. Another example would be the fact that we can cross the great divide of otherness between ourselves and another person, even though it may seem that the otherness is profound. We're seeing this happening mm-hmm. in our yearning for biodiversity right now of all kinds. But it is when you drop, you just drop your old way of projection. You forget about projection and you enter into a state of radical empathy. And that's something that we all have. We can do it easily with our dogs and cats, can't we? Mm -hmm. If we could bring that same level of receptivity and delight to a person and we're doing it at the same time. Then the old shields and the old armor drop away. And it's seeing a person as as if you're seeing them on the first new day of reality. And you empower them. Um, people ask me, Dean, what are your gifts? I said, well, my gifts are, is I have the gift of the follow through. I tend to follow through on anything I commit to, so I see it through. Because Margaret Mead taught me that you're present at the beginning, the middle, the end, and the new beginning of something. Mm. And the other is radical empathy, I suppose, I would say, that I feel deeply the other person's genius, integrity. I see the other parts, the other side of the moon, moon of themselves, and I see it so clearly or at least I attempt to, that then we create a field of loving resonance between each other, and we are then as servants, always servant, never Lord, servants of being able to be midwives of souls, evocateurs of the fullness that is in the other.
1: Mm. Field of loving resonance between us and oh yes, yes, yes to those old shields and old armor dropping away. Thank Mm -hmm. you, Jean. So we've come to the top of the hour here and and need to bring this to a close and I have about 60 seconds or less for each of you, if you would, to respond to this one last question. So Irvin, I want to begin with you in this moment of choice, if this is this critical evolutionary moment, and we are really setting toward a new evolutionary trajectory, what is your call to action for our listeners today? 60 seconds or less.
2: Okay. Would you like, would you like me to ask, let's give 60 seconds as well.
1: Yes. 60 seconds. What's your call to action for
2: our listeners? Become what you truly are. That is a short statement. It's less than 60 seconds. Mm. Because I trust that we are truly people who are part of each other and part of nature. We were born in, in this web of life. We are part of it. We have divorced ourselves from it. We need to come back. So it means come back. Not to the old false artificial way of living and thinking, come back to a more natural way, which is a very old way, but it's also the newest way. So I say, yes, Gandhi was right. Be the change you want to see in the world. That means become what you truly are. That is in brief, in nutshell, my message.
1: Beautiful. And Jean, 60 seconds, what's your call to action?
3: I think we have to help people, citizens, leaders alike, to bring a new mind to bear upon personal and social change. And I think in this way we can rise to the challenge of our times, ferry ourselves across the unknown abyss that separates a dying era from one being born. And know we are in a borning time, a borning time. And we are participating in the art of new creation. We are called to explore the mystery of the interface between our outer reality and the embrace of the opening up of our inner journey. So we have to give real time for reflection, contemplation, so that, that we have from our inner life, which is directly accessible to the cosmic knowledge itself, the cosmic love, that we can create a vital synergy between our inner reality, which is growing, the outer realities that are necessary to transform our world and our
1: time. Jean Houston, Irvin Laszlo, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a magnificent conversation with so much um, just beauty emanating from your voices. Thank you, and I want to leave you listeners with the words of Jean Houston. We are at that stage where the real work of humanity begins. That it is the time and place where we partner with creation, in the recreation of ourselves, in the restoration of the biosphere, and in the assuming of a new kind of culture. What we might term a culture of kindness, where we live daily life in such a way as to be reconnected Charged and made aware of the source of our reality until our inherent inventiveness is liberated and we are fully engaged in our world and our work. You've been listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Remember, together we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now.